Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless Your Boys podcast. BlessYourBoys.com is your home for all things Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host, Brandon Day. Um, we're going to have a special guest tonight because I botched our podcast last night with Ashley McLennan and, uh, and lost the entire thing. And, um, of course, it was like one of our favorite ones that we had that we have done um, in about a year. We were really happy with it. We had a great time, and I just booted it. So, fortunately, uh, to the rescue, in heroic fashion... Roger Martin, host of the Tigers SRD podcast. Um, Roger hosts that podcast um, with Chris Brown and has also written for quite a number of different sites and is a good friend of Bless You Boys. And we're thrilled to have you on, man. How's it going tonight? Good, good. I'm, 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 this is my first, I got to admit, this is my first time ever being on a different podcast, so it's nice not to have the hosting. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of surprised about that. I was like, yeah, you know, I've been kind of meaning to have you on for a long time and we just we just always end up just kind of bailing out and like, well, we'll just see, you know, we'll see how it goes. And yeah, I think we, we've had Chris on twice to do some prospect stuff, but yeah, that's about it. We haven't really been doing too many guests. I think I had Emily on this year and that's about it. Yeah, we've been uh, rotating guests in and out. We had uh, we had a writer on yesterday from uh, Forbes Sports and so, uh, but good good to be on. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to uh, talk and uh, just uh, as a Shane Green just does a strikeout there. So uh, now it's two outs now for the Tigers here. As they're trying to go for the series win and, and snap this weird funk of fifteen games or fourteen games or so. Yeah, yeah, we'd only won one before yesterday. Matt Boyd came through, and yeah, I think this would will be the first series. Uh oh, okay, there's a hit. <laughs> uh, this will be the uh, you know the first series victory. I shouldn't even say that out loud. I may have just jinxed us since uh, yeah early May. So yeah, I don't know. It's been a it's been a rough freaking go, man. I don't know how you're uh, how you guys are holding up over there, but it's been a tough watch. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Chris and I like I, if our, I know that sometimes we came across we try not to be too cynical or too we're, we're honest about the Tigers, but as, like I, I tend to be a little less uh, pessimistic as possible. And there's been some gems here and there. I mean, but the like, in terms of just the farm system, and you look at some of the things going on, it, it is admittedly kind of a rough go. And I, I know that a lot of Tiger fans are losing their patience already, relatively quickly, but. I love baseball so much, and there's so many cool stuff going on, too. Like, you know, Carlos Carrera breaking his ribs somehow mysteriously. So baseball continues to give us joy in any other places, and I'll, I'll, I'll take it anywhere I can. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that you know, it's just kind of a kind of a matter of, of, you know, finding a way to still enjoy the game and not, not torture yourself. You know, not be that person who feels like you've got to, you know, sit in there and grind it out every single game, being mad, you know, being frustrated. Yeah, I mean, you know, watching Casey Mize and, and Matt Manning's games, um, that you know, that's been a nice kind of kind of break in a certain way to like, okay, you know, the, at least these two guys, I, I have a whole lot of faith are going to be really good as long as, uh, like all pitchers, they stay healthy. So that's been helpful. And then, you know, we've got some things to watch. I mean, Ashley and I have kind of had a theme of like, you know, Jekyll and Hyde or, you know, like, you know, what was the thing back in the 70s where it was like the three pitchers and then <laughs> and then avoid the other games? I mean, it's kind of that thing. It's like Matt Boyd. Yeah, you want to watch that game. Spencer Turnbull. Yeah, you should watch that game. Daniel Norris. Yeah, you can watch that game. But uh, but the other two starts, you know, you just got to go in knowing what you're you know, what you're looking at here. And it's um, it's not great, <laughs> especially on the pitching pitching side on those days. But the offense hasn't been getting the job done either. Yeah, and, and for me, growing up watching a lot of baseball, bad baseball in the 90s and, and early millennium, it's, this is, I, I don't really particularly, it, it's what you, you you take out of it. For example, I would, if I, if I think about the late 90s and what Bobby Higginson was able to provide 
on some really bad Tiger teams to the you know the, the, even Jeff Weaver was a kind of a highlight for me. But even like stuff that I got excited for, case of another like even like a, a, a good rare start from Willie Blair or yeah, I saw Doug Brocale on the, the Baltimore pitching coach and. You remind me of a couple of starts here and there, and, and, and even the Gary Knotts and stuff like that. So, I I take I take whatever I can, little positives, and, and turn it into what I consider baseball. And that's how much I love baseball. And so, as a Tigers fan, expect the there's there, this team historically speaking throughout the history has had their ups and valleys, and just got to sit there and rid and bear it. Yeah, and you know, I think you're you're an interesting age for it because you know you're a good bit younger than I am. You know, I kind of grew up in the the 1984 era, so you know, I was a little bit spoiled early on. You know, you watch the Tigers, you know, win the World Series when I was like 10 years old. You know, like little league pitcher and shortstop. You know, that was like, oh, we're gonna do this all the time. But um, but yeah, you know, if you came up in the 90s and saw a lot of rough baseball, and we're and we, you know, you just have a different take on it. And then for all the people who kind of became Tigers fans since you know, since 2006 or, or beyond that, you know, you've just never, never really seen the Tigers look, you know, this bad, you know, multiple years, um, you know, 2015 was, was pretty bad. 2017, you know, you couldn't imagine how it could have turned out that bad, but it did. So, you know, people are, are having to transition and yeah, you know, I guess, you know, my only kind of, my only take on it is that it's just a question of whether or not you want to be, you know, you want to be angry or you just kind of want to have fun with it, you know, and, and if you can make fun of it a little bit and kind of keep the tone light and just kind of laugh at, at what a debacle it is on the field right now, that that can help as well. But yeah, everybody's kind of got to find their own uh, their own way of dealing with it a little bit. Oh, definitely. And I, I think if it's just it, it's there, there's two in Twitter, such a strange atmosphere with Tiger fans right now. You have those fans who will vehemently defend Al Vila and the fans who will tear him apart, i.e. Mark. Uh, <laughs> yep, but it's, uh, they end, and it looks like the Tigers are going to win right here. Uh, yep, yep, there it is. There it is, boom. And and then you have the Tiger fans who are, like, in the middle, kind of in the middle. Like, I just, I just want to watch baseball. I don't want too much drama with it, and I have my opinions, and I'll take my, I'll have fun with it, and just, that, that's all it is to me. It's, it's just, if you're, if you take it to the point where, you are constantly swearing about it and letting it ruin your day. Then I'm, I'm sorry, man. You have your, <laughs> you have your right, and so that that's where I lie. There's other things going on more important than baseball. Yeah, but honestly, like, well, if there's you can take this win tonight, and and Matt Boyd's, you know, in the last, he hasn't allowed a run in the last two starts. Tigers PR had a really good tweet about that. Twelve consecutive scoreless innings, the longest streak by any Tiger pitch, pitcher this year. And look at and there's something else too that I mentioned this last night on, on Tigers too Brandon their the quality start percentage is not it's like way in the middle of the road yeah for teams in, the, in, the, in the MLB so you can take that as a positive all things considering with how many injuries the staff has suffered to have like kind of like in the mid 50s for quality start percentage I'll take that all day yeah, I mean, really, you know, you know, nobody's really thrilled to see Ryan Carpenter go out there and, and start, but um, you know, even his last two outings have been pretty solid. Um, it's really, it, you know, the bullpen's blown some games, but really, it's just it's been the offense, and that's really surprised me because, you know, coming into the season, you know, I figured, okay, Miggy's healthy, you know, as long as that lasts, you know, you've got him and Castellanos in the middle of the order, and even if Miggy isn't providing the home run power. You know, that's still like a much more solid group than we saw last year, and then you add, you know, Kristen Stewart, who I still have a lot of confidence in, you know, and some of the guys they picked up, you know, like, um, you know, Mercer and Harrison weren't going to be, you know, 
particularly impressive offensive players, but you figured they'd, you know, do a halfway decent job getting on base. And, you know, after some of what we saw last year and some of the guys that they were having to run out there, I kind of thought, you know, the offense will probably be a little bit better this year. And I don't know, you never know, maybe, maybe they'll get to that point, but so far the offense has just been dreadful. (laughs) So, yeah. And we've kind of seen this pattern of like, you know, Nico Goodrum was hot for two weeks and, you know, to the point where people, you know, national writers were already kind of keying in on him as like, oh, you know, breakout candidate. And then Ronnie did it. And then, you know, and right now it's Jacoby Jones who's going good. But um, we just haven't seen anybody else kind of sustain sustain any success. So it's been uh, been a rough go. Yeah. And, I mean, you saw Brandon Dixon, who's been what Chef said earlier, has been an extra base machine and i mean he's batting 309 in limited duty he's got five home runs and he's been able to provide i mean considering what we expect him out of cincinnati or pick him up from cincinnati i didn't expect much out of him and so he's been a pleasant surprise you mentioned goodroom i think it struck out three times today yeah in tonight's game i still think that it, it, there's even whatever happens with nick and the trade deadline what have you that's where you're gonna kind of see like some <laughs> of these efforts perhaps drop yeah, but I'll take you know even with Ryan Rodriguez struggling, I mean he's among the team leaders in home runs, which is totally an early like yeah that's expected. You know? so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you'd think it would be Nick, you know. Right yeah, yeah, it's just been uh, it's just been kind of a weird go, you know. Um, yeah, I mean I still think like a guy like Nico or Ronnie, like one of those guys is probably going to provide like some kind of a decent utility player, you know if if. You know, if this team was good enough and one of those guys was kind of your, you know, your ninth man, you know, on the field or something like that, you you wouldn't feel too bad about it. It's the fact that we continually have to lean on these guys and play them every day. And, yeah, you kind of see when you're picking, you know, Brandon Dixon's matchups for him, you know, the guy's got a, what, like a 926 OPS right now. And, um, you know, we need that. (laughs) We need that help. Yeah. And, I mean, he's a guy who really, I mean, with the the slugging percentage showing kind of too is among the leaders in slugging, but he's actually the team leader in slugging percentage at 574. So, yeah, picking your spots there. And, and Ron Gardenhire, who, by the way, cracked me up today with being totally caught off by, by TMZ, which is, <laughs> it, without his hat, it didn't look like Ron Gardenhire. It looked like some sort of villain from Mega Man. <laughs> for some strange reason, I don't know why, but anyway, um, but for Ron Gardenhire right there, it, it, it was you and I have talked about this before about how much is a manager involved in, in, in just kind of like the day-to-day stuff in, in player management? They're using Dixon in the right in the in the manner they picking and choosing his spots. I think has been a good thing to hang your head on for Ron Gardner to just make sure that hey, I'm going to give this guy a bat when I think it's needed, and also do some really weird that that I, I couldn't <laughs> just kind of like go hey, we need to sign Dallas Keuchel and. Uh, uh, the, oh, um, oh, Craig Kimbrell, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like he fed it right into there, and like, TMZ was like making a headline out of it. Was like, yeah, he said the obvious. He he baited you guys, so congratulations. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, th- this doesn't really help in a baseball sense, but you can just see like the difference in, in a manager who's who's kind of been there and done it all already. You know, if you if you imagine, you know, I don't want to bag on Brad Osmus any more than you know he already gets bagged on in this town, but you can imagine like the defensiveness you know, level being pretty, you know, different. Um, you know, Gardy's still sarcastic too, but, you know, there's just a little bit more of like a, look guys, you know, I, I've seen this all before. Um, and, you know, th- and that's just sort of the cachet of, of having a guy who, you know, we're all familiar with. We've all seen him, you know, manage some pretty good teams over the years. 
Um, you know, that's something that, you know, someone like Brad Osmus or any other young manager never had. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You know, you, you wonder what Ron Gardenhire really thinks. Like, you know, have I, you know, <laughs> have I ever had a roster that was quite this bad? I, I bet he has. You know, I know there's some pretty bad Twins teams, you know, uh, before they kind of got Maurer and, and Morneau going and, you know, and Torrey Hunter kind of hit his peak. But um, yeah, he's, 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 they're all kind of in it. He's seeing the, uh, the worst of the worst of the show right now. Yeah, I'm trying to think of like it, it, those Twins teams in early. I think it was like that. He had a 93 loss team. I think I want to say. I, I, I try to remember what year it was, but he. I don't know. Uh, you know, Brandon. Even he was. I mean, he was there for the beginning of the Twins. What, what the Twins were trying to do. He, he was around for a long time in a system. But uh, you know, but I, I think this. I think those. I don't. Know, I think some of those Twins teams could be much worse because I mean. If he, I think he was around, yeah, when Maurer, or I'm sorry, when uh, Mano, Mano, or Justin Monroe had the... Oh, yeah, the concussions, yeah. Yeah, so there was nothing he could have controlled about it. And I remember, and I recall the Twins really didn't have a lot of... They made that interesting signing. They, they signed that shortstop out of Japan. who never panned out. They got a bunch of money. They had no idea what to do with it. And, and Ron Gardenhire was caught up in the middle of it. And they didn't spend their money wisely, as I recall. And I think that was part of his demise in Minnesota. Yeah, they really only had that kind of, you know, after the, you know, the Maurer and Morneau peak was over, you know, there was sort of that one window where it was like, okay, they've got a couple guys on the farm, you know, they've got some money to spend, you know, the ownership is willing to kind of go in and try to get, you know, try to get a good team into target field. And, you know, it just kind of fell on its face right there. And yeah, that was the, that was the end for them. Um, and yeah, you look at what the new regime is doing over there right now, you know, the Twins are killing it and the Indians look like they're in, you know, the Indians are actually have scored 14 runs that are beating Boston tonight, but in general have been, you know, really, really a disappointment, I'm sure, to, you know, whatever, you know, 500 people in Cleveland who pay attention to them. Um, that's a sad that's a sad group of people. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the thing is, too, about the Indians, and we, we talk, we, we've talked about this before as well, and, and it's just, it's mind-blowing mind here. And you saw Baltimore at least try to sign uh, Keon Braxton, and for how depleted the Indians' offense has been, and in terms of the outfield, here they are at 500 going into tonight's game, and they haven't been able to try Dick. I mean, honestly, they haven't been able to just yeah, they just haven't really experimented with anything, and even trying to be creative. I mean, you know, signing Haley Ramirez was not creative. I'm sorry, uh, signing Carlos, the ghost of Carlos Gonzalez, also not creative. Yeah, and they haven't been able to. I mean, you're, you're throwing guys out there on a regular, like, you know, Jake Bowers is is a decent guy. You know, he's decent out there. And Greg Allen, you have Jordan Lupo, and and, and now they finally called up Oscar Mikhailo, which I think is, you know, they should have done this in the beginning. And the guy is one of their top thirty prospects and was putting up some decent numbers down in the minors for them. But it, it, you talk about their pitching. There's the Tigers actually two best starters. Yeah, Rays are actually better than the Indians, and Bauer has looked human. I mean, I think all the off-field distractions are finally getting to him a little bit. But you know, you got Kluber on the IL. I, I hate seeing the IL, by the way. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not used to it. Like, I appreciate the reason for it, but I'm, it's still a bit of a struggle. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the bullpen doesn't look that bad. But when your offense is just what it is, what it is, it's just it's not. not I don't know. It's. I, I predicted the Twins that would come out if they would have another starter, and I thought they would win the division. I didn't think, however, I didn't think they would hit over 100 home runs as they already had. <laughs> An all-star break, 
They're getting really good pitching. They're they're finally getting other guys other than Barrios to throw out there, and and some of their acquisitions from last year seem like they're coming through. Yeah, they've done some smart things to kind of shore up that pitching staff. And yeah, going into the season, you know, I I expected that their offense was going to be good. I really liked, you know, that they picked up Cruz. Um, I love that they signed Marwin Gonzalez because that gave him this versatility and this, you know, kind of some veteran leadership, you know, from a guy who just won the World Series and, you know, is coming from, you know, probably the smartest, you know, most forward thinking organization in the game or certainly one of them. You know, all those things kind of, you know, kind of came together for them, but I didn't expect them to have the pitching and that's where they're starting to get that look of, of like a front office that gets it. And it's easy to, to go overboard over, you know, one set of signings, one season. But, um, but you know, identifying that like Martin Perez was a guy that they could probably help and, and you know, make a few changes with and, and get a lot more out of. Um, so same thing with the bullpen. You know, they've kind of pieced together a bullpen out of some guys whose like raw stuff isn't necessarily that impressive. And yet, you know, they're, they're getting the job done. The whole thing is kind of, kind of working as a unit. Rocco Baldali seems to have them, you know, working well together. And yeah, it's just really tough to see Cleveland catching them because, you know, they just don't have the offense. And even when you, you know, you figure they're going to get Clevenger back and hopefully they get Kluber back later on in the season, they were already running really thin and lean to begin with. And really depending on that starting rotation to carry them and, yeah, with with um, with Trevor Bauer kind of struggling, and you know, like Trevor Bauer is is one of those guys who might almost experiment his way out of being good sometimes, you know, and, and need to get back to it. He made a bunch of changes this this off season, you know, after basically putting up what would have been, you know, maybe a Cy Young winning campaign last year before he got hit in the shin. Um, you know, can't help but tinker with things too much. You know, kind of went away from his slider and. It's just kind of having like a, you know, like a solid season, but nothing, uh, nothing particularly impressive. And the way things have gone, they really needed him to be really good this year and hasn't happened so far. And yeah, you know, the, they're opening up a big enough lead where you kind of don't know if they can be caught right now. It's still early, you know, you figure there's still a chance, but um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really know what the Indians do other than like try to turn around and leverage what isn't really that good of farm system, you know, for another bat and some help, you know, in the, in the bullpen maybe, or with the staff. So I don't know. I don't really see any kind of clean moves for them to kind of figure it out. Yeah, and you know what? And I think even guys like Ryan Harper, who picked up his first save, I believe it was it was uh, tonight. Actually, picked up his first save, or yeah, it was, I think it was tonight. Um, but still, this is a journeyman guy who's who's drafted in the thirty eighth round or thirty ninth round by Atlanta. Comes up and has been he's, he was a rookie this year at 31 at 31 years old or 30 yeah 30 years old and then goes out there and is a solid reliever and that doesn't happen in Minnesota it happens in Cleveland yeah never have that kind of luck i mean the, the twins at one point had former tiger uh what was it uh oh god i can't remember. uh what was that former tiger reliever that they or um they had in their back of the bullpen for a while i can't think of the name but either way oh did they have fernando for a while Rod, did they have Rodney for a while? Are you talking Rodney, this year? There was, another, there was another guy that was a, a tall, lanky. Oh, jeez. I want to say I, I want to say M. Wilk. It was some. It was another reliever. It was maybe it was Casey. Oh man, I'm trying to think of the Crosby. Oh, Casey Crosby. <laughs> oh, Casey, Casey Fien. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Pick it up. Yeah, yeah, that guy. Um, but the the Twins have been able to get some guy, some unsung heroes, and Jake Rissey who I thought last year would come over and make an impact, waited a year, and has been a very good part of that rotation that even Michael Badea, who I think was among he – was, he was, I know for a fact he was the top five in home runs given up in all of baseball, 
they're able to overcome with their shortcomings. And Kyle Gibson, who yeah, is amazing. I mean, you know, I mean, honestly, Brandon Kyle Gibson's like a cat or something. Like he has all these nine lives. Like you think he's going to be out of rotation at some point. <laughs> always in there it's, it's it's impressive yeah yeah and he's not that old you know um yeah i'm just taking a quick look at the standings and this is before tonight's um results so you'll probably you know people listening out there you'll probably hear this on thursday but um you know the run differential for the for the twins is plus 112 and for cleveland it's negative six um so that's that's the disparity like maybe even more than you know the 10 game lead basically that um that the twins have you know they're the only team in this division that looks um, that looks good, and I guess you know you can kind of take a look at the the you know the three bottom dwellers here, and say that there's an opportunity for the Indians if they can get it together to go on some runs, um, and maybe make this thing interesting because you know they're between us, the White Sox, and Kansas City. There's definitely some teams to be exploited. Um, nowhere else in in baseball are there more teams to be exploited in any division. Um, but yeah, it's just it's kind of hard to see how Cleveland puts it together. And then you look at what the Indians did this offseason and figure, you know, they're, they're starting to get a little bit of that cachet to where it's like you figure they're going to make a, you know, an inexpensive smart move or two at the deadline or, or sometime in July to kind of bolster things up. And you know what I look at is a team that, you know, consistently manages to find relievers. Um, that, that seems to be like a hallmark of a really good front office where they don't necessarily have to go out and drop, you know, like $30 million on a, you know, a Joe Kelly, like the way the Dodgers did. Um, you know, it's, it's finding those couple guys, like maybe a starter that you convert who, you know, kind of takes to it for a little bit, picking up that one guy who, you know, is a cast off somewhere and changing one thing in his, in his pitch mix or something like that. <clears throat> the smart, you know, the smart franchises seem to keep doing that. Um, you know, people, you know, thought Chris Davinsky could be good and, you know, they had Brad Peacock and Colin McHugh in the rotation um, down in, in Houston and then moved them, them to the bullpen. But they kind of just pieced it together. Um, you know, they didn't go, they've never gone out and, and necessarily signed that big ticket item. Um, they went out and traded for Roberto Ozuna last year and destroyed their karma, um, which is why they lost last year. But, um, but you know, that's really the only kind of big move they've made at a, at a deadline, you know, to get a, to get an ace reliever in there that they, that they thought they needed. Um, you know, it's, it's being able to kind of identify those couple guys who are primed to have a, a solid season and getting them. So, yeah, yeah, I think, uh, I think the twins might be legit. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, even at the Indians right now, they have a couple guys in their system, but they're. They're really low A right now, and even even you 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 have to wonder at some point. And Brandon, I know that you watched them pitch quite a bit with Akron and Erie. Seem like they play all the all the fucking time. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Tristan uh, McKens, and I know that he is he was a guy who has kind of in terms of prospect wise has he cooled off a little bit? I mean, I I, I know he's their number one prospect. Yeah, I, it feels like he kind of has cooled off, but I, I honestly don't know. Um, it, but it, but it has felt to me like Alex Kurloff is kind of starting to take over as like the guy everybody's like, "Whoa, that that kid's coming." So, yeah. So, yeah I mean, in the numbers he's put up. I mean, he's put up some good numbers in Akron, and but I think the, Tiger, or the Indians are wise not to bring him up because their pitching is not the it's not the problem; it's the offense. But still. They still have a couple guys in their, like, just even guys in their uh, infield and out, like, because the Indians can do one thing very well, and that is get international talent. So I, I don't, if the Indians don't make a move, and or if they do, if they do make a move, if they don't make a move, they stay pat. Yeah, I still think that they have a, a their upside is still pretty good, all things considering. Yeah, I mean, 
you know, it seems like Jose Ramirez has kind of righted the ship after that sort of weird, that weird slump, but he hasn't really caught fire again. Um, and yeah, you know, if he and Lindor get going and maybe they can call someone up and find one more, one more bat, like one outfielder who can kind of help them out a little bit, um, you know, there's still a chance because obviously they're going to play a lot of, a lot of bad teams down the stretch and maybe they can make some kind of run, at least at a wild card. Um, and it's still early enough that even a 10 game lead isn't, uh, isn't assured. It's really hard to see how, you know, the, the twins fall apart either. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting stretch dive, but not as interesting as most of the other divisions in baseball. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. The, the AL East has been a fun watch. I've definitely watched a lot. I've been watching a lot of the NL West games because lately, right before we go to bed, if I can't sleep, I'll watch some some of the – I've watched a lot of Dodger games. The Dodgers are uh, one of my favorite teams to watch. And and also been kind of keeping track on the Padres too because the Padres have been having an interesting – with the dynamic they had with bringing Manny Machado in. Yeah. Been a fun. They've been a, a good team to watch, and it seemed like they've rallied together. And I think the worst division to watch right now, honestly, has been the the, the NL East. The NL East is uh, the Nationals are. We don't know what the hell's going on with them. The, we just watched the Mets. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. The Braves. I mean, the Braves have a little of talent, but I watched them play the Cardinals on Sunday Night Baseball, and eh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> talent, but I'm just. I maybe you know and you know I say eh because I'm jealous of all their talent. And that's why <laughs> I, have, but I don't want to take them seriously because just they showed a that uh, um, they showed a graphic where they showed like five or six players. They're all under like 23, and I just sighed and just was like, man, yeah. Ah. And the farm system still ranked, you know, one, two, or three on basically everybody's uh, everybody's rankings. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. they but they haven't. You know, I have to agree they haven't really leveraged it yet. Excuse me, into uh, you know, into a real juggernaut. You know, it's still like you know they've got like a bunch of talented young players up. They've got you know, obviously they've got Alby Zacuna Jr. and Camargo, um, Dansby Swanson. You know, there's something they've got some good young players. They've got some good young pitchers up, but it's not like everybody's sort of hit their groove yet. And they don't really feel like they've started to make those you know we're all in type moves. Um, maybe that'll happen this year because yeah, that division does look ripe for the taking and. More and more, you know, the Washington Nationals remind me so much of the Tigers who made like all these smart trades, like, you know, did the right things, kind of had that that star or two that they had drafted, you know, in Strasburg and, and Harper to build around and just have never gotten it done. And, you know, it feels like, you know, more more and more every year, like they're having to kind of, you know, piece it all together. Um, and yet, you know, that's still a team that, you know, in the last year and a half has called up Victor Robles and you know Juan Soto and watch these kids just go ham in the outfield you know like we don't we, we don't have that and yet they still can't win it's bizarre yeah and I thought that their offseason was a good one I thought that they signed Patrick Corbin was going to strengthen that rotation that was kind of as good as that rotation was you still felt like there was missing a piece and I thought that that was a good signing and just they were, they were shoring up the middle a little bit but then it's like the, just all of a sudden, you see Max Scherzer. Just his eyes are glaring louder, <laughs> and when you're getting smoked by the Marlins, it's it's a it's a bad time. But even like the Braves, the thing about the Braves too is even at the helm, uh, Alex, I can't say Anthropos. Oh yeah, uh, Anthropolis. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a Greek name. Good. <laughs> uh, in, in his time as Toronto, you recall him like when he got a little bit aggressive, it it, it came back to haunt him a little bit when he started signing some uh, free agents and, and getting a little aggressive with the Jays. So I think maybe he doesn't want history to repeat itself, which is why I think Atlanta perhaps is holding on. 
Yeah, that could be. Toronto, because I mean, he he was the GM responsible for training Syndergaard to the Mets, I believe. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, and so like there you go. Maybe he doesn't want history to repeat itself with all the arms they have. So I think he's a little more conservative than he was in his time in, in Toronto. So, so maybe that's the case. I don't know, but the Nationals are just a giant shit show, and I don't feel <laughs> the least bit bad. <laughs> yeah, because like. Honestly, I think Dusty Baker should have never gotten, you know, Dusty Baker should have never let him go, so. Yeah, you know, I kind of feel the same way. Like, they, you know, they've kind of, that's happened to Dusty Baker on more than one occasion where, you know, they got knocked out of the playoffs once or twice and everybody thinks, oh, that's the problem. And then, no, it just gets worse from there, you know. Um, And it it, kind of, you know, that topic kind of brings up the, is it more important to, you know, to have a guy who's like great in the clubhouse than it is to have the guy who, you know, is going to make the, the saber move and, and look through the numbers, you know, on every single play. Um, and when you look at Alex Anthropolis, and this is, you know, the, the Braves now, but both of those guys are kind of like interesting case studies because, yeah, Anthropolis is that guy who seems to, and sort of like Preller out in San Diego has, you know, has had faculty for building a, a good farm system. But every time it comes to the to the crux where it's time to, you know, make major league deals and acquire the talent you need to compete, you know, he, he's gone too far. You know, he's he hasn't done the right things. I mean, you know, they traded, you know, Daniel Norris and Matt Boyd, you know, probably weren't going to have any real impact on the Blue Jays anyway. So I don't think they necessarily lost anything there, but they made a lot of deals there, you know, and then they took on the money. You know, they traded for Josh Donaldson. They traded for um, Troy Tulowitzki. And, you know, they basically had like a year where they were, you know, kind of a contender and that was it. And after that, you know, it was like, they were already in the Tiger, you know, post-2014 phase where they're just trying to hang on. So, yeah, it's uh, it's tricky, and it just seems like, you know, front office guys and, and managers both, like, you never, you rarely at least find one who kind of has both sides of it down, you know, where you're really like, oh, this guy, you know, has every part of the game dialed in. Yeah, and, but you know what's even interesting, too, about the Oh, yeah, Donaldson. I'm sorry, they traded, oh, that's right, I just had to mention, they traded Noah Syndergaard for R.A. Dickey. Oh, oh, well. I'm not sure if that was Anthropolis, but somebody over there did that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll look, yeah, it, I remember, I couldn't remember when he, I know he was just, I, I know he was trying to make moves. I remember him talking about that too, because they thought they were getting close, but I, I want to look up his time in Toronto, but the Josh Allison, that was a smart, I mean, I don't know. I, I, yeah, I thought so too. I mean, you know, it didn't cost them that much and they kind of had to do something because of where they were at and because the Blue Jays hadn't been good in a long time, but. Yeah, it wasn't one of those things that they. I don't think it's going to haunt him too, and, and and I think he's more of a National League kind of player, anyways. I mean, it, could he have made some more money being a DH with all these injuries in the American League? Sure, um, but you know, uh, so yeah, he was manager <laughs> for 20, 2010 to twenty fifteen. So yes, he was part of that. He did make that trade. Yep, that was him. Yep. Oh boy. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there were worse trades to have made. You know, R.A. Dickey was good for them for a year, but yeah, you know, that was definitely those win now moves, man. Like, you better, you got to win then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he also was responsible for training a Canadian national trainer, Roy Holiday, too. So he was. Yeah. I mean, they got, they got what? Kyle Drayback, and then I forgot the other two they got out of that, but they got nothing out of that. So. Yeah. 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 That crashed and burned. Yeah. Yeah, and those Toronto teams, you know, had had a lot of talent. I mean, you know, they had Bautista and Carnacion and, you know, and Donaldson and Tulowitzki all at the same time, but it was like other than Bautista, they well, and then Carnacion as well. They kind of got the other two guys, you know, just too late. 
you know, and they and they weren't leaning on him the way like the Phillies, you know, got um, Andrew McCutcheon to sort of fill a role. You know, those guys were still supposed to be studs if that was going to work out. Um, yeah, and trying to get that, you know, that last little bit of juice out of the berry with a with a veteran player who used to be a star is always always sketchy. There's just so much pressure on on guys like that. It feels like too, because there's you know the expectations have been so built up. You know, we're kind of beyond that phase with Miggy, I think, almost now. But you know, if the Tigers had been contending in 2017 and you know and Miggy just was kind of still struggling you know they that would have been a, a fair comp even though you know those players don't really compare to Miguel Cabrera as a over the course of their careers but yeah yeah it's a tough thing um yeah I don't know we, we've had a lot of conversations like Roger and I and our buddy Mark and Chris Brown and Keenan Carter and our buddy Jed like I'll have this chat on Twitter and, and kind of are constantly hashing these things out and um yeah, one of the things that keeps getting talked about, you know, here and there is just, you know, what, is, what does it take, you know, to have like a, a general manager in a front office that can handle both ends of it and build yourself a kick-ass farm system, but also then manage to spend money wisely and, and turn it in, you know, to, to something good. You know, it's like you need, and this is why we keep bringing up Heim Bloom from uh, the VP from the, um, from the Rays, because the Rays draft really well and they trade really well. Um, the only thing we don't know if they can do well is spend big time free agent dollars, but we also don't know if Chris Illich is going to commit any big free agent dollars. <laughs> yeah. And that, and, and that's, and that's the thing about the race too. like it, another, another example too, that Mark brings up and, but there's something, and, and I've been paying attention to him a lot more because I've been watching the Dodgers is what Michael Harris or Hazen is doing over in Arizona. Yeah. Uh, your team that was, it, it, there's still, if you, if you think about it, so they're kind of, it, it's still, you know, in, a, in a transition right now, and they're a team that's kind of like had some you know, older bat players, and, and their farm system's kind of like, eh. But they're being able to turn it around relatively quickly. I mean, this is a guy who comes from a good pedigree from you know out of Boston, but in the last two or three years, uh, has been able to really kind of turn it around. The same thing with is it um, is it Mike? I'm trying to think. Bryant is the general manager in, uh, with the Angels, too, which comes from, uh, from the Yankees. Oh, yeah. Um, Billy, uh, Billy... Epler. Uh, yeah, Billy Epler. Billy Epler, yeah. Those two have been able to turn around a pretty good... Uh, or teams that were de- kind of decimated. And look at... look, look, look And getting back to the Diamondbacks, look at Hazen's commitment right now, payroll-wise. You still have Tomas, who's sitting in Reno, just hitting home runs, but it doesn't matter because the specific Coast League sucks. Yep. And uh, it- you're able to trade Paul Goldschmidt and able to get something out of him. You have Zach Ranke still, but, I mean, they, they, and A.J. Pollock, they were able to kind of get rid of. So kudos to him. They're able to offset all that and get some value and make your team competitive. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think we would like to see, you know, uh, you know, that's I think that's kind of like the demand for, for Alavila, you know, really by, you know, it's not going to happen this year, but if he sticks around, you know, and, you know, last year is the the final year on his contract. You know, you've got to see this team look like a 500-ish team without having to, you know, hurt the farm system at all. Like, the farm system still needs to be growing, but, you know, this this front office in Detroit has to find some players who can actually, like, stick and, and do something for you and and hold this, you know, this lineup together. Because, obviously, Miggy's not going to do it, and you've got Castellanos, who's, you know, bound to walk or be, and be traded, probably. Um, you know, the, both of those two GMs, like, I think sometimes can get too much credit, um, particularly from Mark, because, you know, like out, out in L.A., like, you know, they made a ton of moves there and it really hasn't added up to anything. And you do have Mike Trout. 
Um, but by the same token, they've never like completely collapsed, even though, you know, the farm system was shot and they held these, you know, huge commitments still to like, you know, whatever, Josh Hamilton and um, Albert Pujols, you know, the circumstances out in, in the, you know, in Angels land is, are not too dissimilar from, from what the Tigers are dealing with on, on certain levels. But yeah, you know, you just see those guys making a few more creative moves and, and hitting on some people. Um, whereas in Detroit, we're kind of looking at like Nick Ramirez, like, oh, that was, you know, that was a pretty good find, you know, like he's been usable, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. You know, finding an actual, actual solid players, you know, kind of out of thin air is more, uh, you know, a way to judge, you know, whether whether or not a GM could do that. But yeah, there's just all these levels, you know, you can do that, you can piece together that little bit of a roster, but then can you make the trades to get that star player you need? And then can you make the small deals to fill out a rotation and a, you know, and a roster and all that sort of stuff? And we're just still so far from, from finding out those kind of things about Alavila. And I think to a lot of people, um, and I, I don't totally agree with this, but I think there is like a sense out there that, you know, the whole rebuilding thing, uh, well, actually, I do agree with this, that, re, you know, the whole idea of a rebuild, a, a full teardown and rebuild is basically like a marketing conceit um, for, for owners. But even like, you know, the fact that teams do need to reset, you know, it's it, it kind of brings up that question. Like, is it better for Alavila to even try right now or does that just bring about expectations or is it easier for him to just keep, you know, just going through drafts and, you know, trading whoever they can, you know, at the trade deadline and, you know, not spending any money and just keeping expectations low. Um, and, you know, you can't keep expectations low forever. This is Detroit. This isn't, uh, you know, honestly, like it isn't Houston before, you know, before Houston finally got good. You know, no one cared about baseball there. Um, there's a lot of cities like that where there's just no interest. And so you didn't have anything to lose. But the Tigers are losing right now. You know, they're, they're going backwards as a fan base and in terms of attendance and, um, you know, spending on the team. And I, it just feels like you can't let it free fall forever. And they need to find a couple guys to sort of hold this, hold this thing together and start to look a little bit more like a major league team next year. Yeah, and, and you're, you talk about Alavila, and let's, you're right. I, I agree with the whole mark, like its whole marketing scheme. Case in point, you know, our friend Dan Hasey, congratulations to him. Yeah. I'm getting the host of Road to Detroit podcast. Yep, Dan Hasty, the voice of the West Michigan Whitecaps. Yeah, yeah, and the voice of uh, UD basketball too. And and many of our choice for the guy we would like to see in Matt Shepard's seat. Just saying. Oh. Okay. <laughs> a guy who I uh, who I said in our Twitter chat. I think I might have said on Twitter or in our on the Tigers podcast too that I would love for him. I thought he'd be a sleeper candidate to be to, before Matt Shepard was hired, but I. The whole idea of the road to Detroit thing and then pushing that narrative out is, while fine, I I kind of la- I chuckled to myself because it's like, oh, all right, so now you're 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 marketing this and now you're pushing this out. Now you guys are doing game recaps that things that bless you boys have done for years. Yeah, and what you know, and Keen's done, and and everybody else, and and you you know Chris Brown over at, at Tigstown, and it just it cracks me up because now it's like this. Oh no no no! It's a, embrace the young guys and, and whatever. <laughs> you just and there's certain things that they just are glossing over. Like uh, one of Dan Hogan's questions, we'll we'll get to later, was making the process of buying a ticket harder. And he's right. I've experienced this, and I'm you know I'm not yet forty, and I'm not an old dude. I'm I'm a young veteran guy, as they say. <laughs> veteran old guy. Yeah, that's right. I, but like I'm, that that whole thing. <laughs> They're making things, certain fan, certain parts of the fan base, they're alienating certain parts of the fan base. They're trying to keep 
the people who are like, oh, the, the diehards like myself and the, and the people who pay attention to baseball. But the casual fan right now is looking at this look at this farm system like, oh, yeah, they got some prospects. Oh, wow, wow, they're really, they're really pushing these guys. And in reality, we, all, we you and I, they will smile and go, eh. You know, they don't have a, they don't have an infield, or they don't have an outfield depth to save their life right now. They don't have an infield depth. They don't yeah. have a second baseman in their system above single A, for Christ's sake, that are, that are any good. So, yeah. Yeah, it's been interesting seeing them do that. And if, you know, if, I'm sorry, if people out there don't necessarily know what we're talking about, like the Tigers finally decided, you know, that um, they, they couldn't exist anymore with, um, you know, rabble like all of us, you know, covering the farm system and poisoning all of your, you know, your tender young minds. Um, and so they've, they've started kind of putting out their own, you know, prop spin on things through this kind of road to Detroit narrative and the, the Twitter handle um, and some videos. And, you know, I don't have any problem with it because it's cool to see some of that content. But, you know, I, I think most people kind of realize that, you know, a lot of that is, you know, just them kind of blowing smoke and, and stalling for time. You know, like the Tigers are about to, you know, disgorge this juggernaut of young talent into the major leagues. And that's, you know, that's not going to happen. I think, you know, beyond Casey Mize and, and Matt Manning, I don't got Daz and Jake Rogers and Isaac Paredes, who we all think can be, you know, regulars, major league regulars and maybe good ones even. But, um, but yeah, there's not a lot of, there's not a lot of star power down there. And when you look at the rate of failure, even among good prospects, um, it's pretty sobering that, you know, considering the Tigers haven't traded anyone really since 2014, you know, that's, you know, 15, 16, 17, 18, that's four drafts for you. That's trading Justin Verlander. That's trading JD Martinez. That's making all those deals. And, you know, you look at the farm system right now and it's still basically like the top, you know, four or five guys. And then a bunch of, you know, better lottery tickets than the Tigers used to have in the farm system, but still, you know, not a whole lot of, you know, guys who are getting national coverage and, and people are real excited about or, you know, who really pop off the screen when you watch them, you know, on minor league TV. There just there just aren't that many guys like that. You know, Parker Meadows might work out. Um, you know, we all like Tariq Skubal, um, who's probably a reliever eventually, but he's pitching for Lakeland. But, you know, beyond that, you know, Wenzel Perez was kind of kind of nice, but is off to a bad start. Carlos Guzman is injured. And we're not really seeing the international guys, you know, that the Tigers have kind of, you know, at least seem to finally start spending more money on, or at least, you know, paying for a couple big ticket guys. You know, we need to start to see some of those guys, you know, Adinso Reyes and Pedro Martinez Jr. Like, you know, in in the years to come, like in the next two years, like somebody out of that group has got to emerge as a really good player. Or, you know, Alavila has failed utterly because you would think that would be the area that, you know, is his strength. If you're looking for what's this GM strength that's there to tap, that would be it. But, um, yeah, we haven't really seen a whole lot. And it can be pretty grim looking at the A-ball level. Um, as excited as we are about what the Erie Seawolves have going on in their rotation. Yeah, you look you look beyond that toward, um, you know, what remains beyond the, the trades that they made in 2017. And, you know... They look like a mediocre farm system in, in the making again, you know, as soon as this group um, of four or five, maybe six guys all shows up. So, yeah, I don't know. It's it's uh, it's not super encouraging, but I think we'll all kind of wait and see how things go this year and, and reassess. Um, hopefully the draft goes well and they can make a few trades, but I don't know. I, I know none of us are feeling good about it. I think uh, pretty much all of us unanimously would like to see Elavila and his front office punted aside <laughs> and uh and try someone young you know i mean you look at what the twin the twins are a perfect example of a team that finally just said like nope you know we're gonna hire a hot young you know executive who's growing in a in a good organization already and bring those guys in rather than expecting guys who've already been here for 20 years to sort of 
become new people and learn all this new stuff and incorporate it into their thought process. Like it just doesn't work like that usually in business or in baseball. Yeah. And, and you even like Dave Dombrowski in Boston right now has young guys around him because he's recognized the fact that you see what you will like about his track record as a, as a GM, but at least he's kind of seen the time, the times have changed to go, well, shoot, I should kind of catch up on what, what everybody else is doing and it, like you know he had he's got right now it was the uh the, the senior vp and, and assistant uh, general manager zach scott yeah he was a big math guy who was a stat guy who's been really helping out dombrowski figure out the farm system and with the tigers you have david littlefield and i'm sorry it's just like i i i don't leave the littlefield <laughs> ruin pirates baseball for a good six seven year span <laughs> Yeah, and, you know we always make fun jokes about David Chad, and I know for some Tiger, casual Tiger fans out there, that name is n- n- uh, notorious for one college, Creighton. He loves Creighton players. <laughs> uh, but it's like it's just even like if you look at it, if like if you're in Connecticut right now, like, oh yeah, short season certain, that's cool. And then you look at their offensive talent. The thing that concerns me the most, Brandon, is the names you mentioned in uh, Pedro Martinez Jr. Um, or some of those international guys. You've not heard a peep from them outside of in, in instructional league. Yeah, they're not, they're not uh, in West Michigan. They're not even that. That's a that's a red flag to me, and that, that that's concerning that some of those guys haven't even jumped over yet. Usually by now, you see maybe a player or two who's really good. It's like okay, you know what? We'll put him in West Michigan. I think he's ready to go. That has not happened as far as I'm as far as I can tell. Has not or I can remember. Yeah, has happened. No, you're right. Um, you know, I, I think one of the reasons we were all really, really enthused about Wenzel Perez, and I mean, I, I'm not giving up on Wenzel Perez. I really like the swing. Um, there's a lot to like about him, but, you know, he was like the first, you know, guy who looked like he might be a two-way player, you know, coming out of, you know, what they're kind of selling as a whole new process for, you know, drafting and developing international, you know, talent. And, you know, he's off to a pretty rocky start, and we don't really see any anybody beyond him yet. So, I mean, that's certainly going to be something we have to look for in the second half is, you know, have they found anyone who at least, you know, shows some tools that um, they can get us a little bit excited? Because, yeah, it's been um, it's been pretty bleak um, down, you know, at Lakeland and, and West Michigan. Like, those two teams aren't aren't very good. You know, there's a couple pitchers at Lakeland that I like, you know, in Elvin Rodriguez and Scooble. Um, you know, Wilco Hernandez, like, has some interest. Um, Guzman, before he got interest, you know, injured, but, you know... The, the, not guys that you're like, oh, this guy might be a stud someday. It's more like, yeah, this guy might turn into like a, a you know, an interesting relief prospect or maybe a back end starter type guy. Um, yeah, and even the relief core, you know, we we hear about relievers for years, you know, who are throwing, you know, 98, 99 in the minor leagues, you know, um, and then they they get to the major leagues. It's kind of like Joe Jimenez, you know, like for years it was like, you know, Joe throws 98, 99. You know, that was kind of the word coming through a lot of the, you know, the prospect watchers and from the Tigers themselves. And then, you know, he gets in the major leagues and he's kind of got like a mediocre slider that has, has gotten better at times, like has looked good. And it's a good fastball. There's no argument. But, you know, the the story that a lot of us who follow the the farm, you know, kind of hear early on and, and what ends up being delivered on the field. You know, Sandy Baez is another, you know, another classic example. Like I've never seen Sandy Baez go out there and, you know, sit 98 and dominate for a couple innings, you know, you know, you could get the idea that something like that might be coming a lot of times just because anytime there's a little flash from someone, it gets overhyped because they stand out. There just isn't that much, 
you know, around them to kind of drown that out. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't don't know. Not feeling, not feeling great. Uh, But I know, you know, people are probably sick of hearing about that because the hardest thing in, in baseball is to really understand what's going on at the player development level and in the front office and, and in ownership. Um, it's all kept very opaque. Um, you know, it's a very complicated process without right answers um, a lot of the time. And, you know, you're asked to have a, a certain degree of faith. And, you know, for a lot of us, you know, we haven't really seen Alavila really have any any real signature wins on his on his resume. Even the trade that everyone would kind of point to first, the Justin Wilson, Alex Avila trade, you know, Jamer Candelario, unfortunately, hasn't really, really turned out to, um, you know, to really be the player that we were hoping for. Um, there's still some time for him. And he has like the, you know, the plate discipline and the defense and some traits that lead you to, you know, have a lot more faith in someone like him than you would Ronnie Rodriguez or Nico or something like that. But, um, you know, he hasn't really worked out that well. So, you know, it's kind of bleak. It's kind of bleak right there. Um you know, I, you look at what they're doing this year, and one of the reasons I've been screaming about Nick Castellanos for so long is just because I can't imagine letting a 27-year-old, you know, good player, not a, certainly not a great player, but a good player, just walk because you don't have anybody to replace him. Um, that leads us, actually, into one of our Twitter questions, I believe, which is... Let me see. i got to find this guy. <laughs> Somebody was asking, though, you know, is there anyone down on the farm that, that we look at as, like, the next, you know, all-star outfielder for the Tigers? Like, someone who we think could possibly get to that point and be really good. Um, and actually, that question, I believe, is coming from, oh, yeah, Matthew Haas um, on our site where we asked for some questions. Which outfield prospect in the system do you think has the highest ceiling and the best chance to become a star? Got anything for me there? <laughs> uh, you know, like, and, and as much as, like, Chris and I go over top prospects, I mean, Parker Meadows is the one that we, the obvious thing that stands out right now. Yeah. Um, uh, but right now, in terms of even everybody kind of, like, and as much as we, we joked around yesterday about uh, um, uh, Reyes being the buff guy <laughs> and you and, and, but... I can't. I'm, I was even like I was. I was thinking about this question quite a bit in terms of who's out there. Daz Cameron is. I, I think people talk about him being like a four A, five A guy or four A guy, but I don't know. I, I still think the ceiling on him is high because of his pedigree from his father. Um, if we're, you know, if we're going to be stretching it, do we see a sound? You know, there's like a any a Rays who's listed as a third baseman. Who knows? He could end up in the outfield. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. Um, Cody Co- Cody Clemens too might be a guy who ends up in the outfield if he actually kind of cashes in on the one tool, which is his his raw power. Yeah. But yeah, it's really you know I I like I think maybe I like Daz better than you guys, but yeah, I mean I think the the good outcome for Daz is that he's like an average defender who you know is a slightly above average offensive player, like a three four WAR guy. Um, and yeah, you know Parker Meadows mainly on the basis of him being young you know, more than anything and having kind of a huge frame and speed is the one that you can see as having the highest ceiling, certainly. Like, I think we'd have to give him the highest ceiling, but as far as the best chance to become a star, I mean, maybe, but I don't know if it's a, it's not a very good chance. I think we can say safely. Well, you know, I wanted to ask you really quick too about Derek Hill. We've seen a lot of the guys in his class coming to come up already, make an impact. Uh, the Red Sox, uh, Michael Chivas yeah. in the same draft class as Derek Hill, who's already... He's done a pretty good job with Boston, but I know he's having a decent season in Erie, but it, it, 
when do when do you? Uh, I know we got the uh, Willie Castro question, but when do we get the tig- When do the Tigers say, you know what, screw, it, let's see what he can do? Yeah, you know, I, I I don't necessarily think that 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 would be that far away. Like you almost wonder if they wouldn't be more willing to call Derek Hill up than Daz Cameron, just because they have higher hopes for Daz Cameron's you know ceiling, um, and maybe just call Derek Hill up knowing that you're going to get good outfield defense. And, and maybe that's what Derek Hill needs. You know, I mean, one thing that about being a, a prep, you know, draft pick, you know, especially in the first round is that, you know, Derek Hill's been a pro since, you know, basically this time five years ago um, and hasn't really made that pro- that much progress, you know, really just reached double A last year um, and has just kind of fought through just injury after injury his entire minor league career. And you kind of wonder like, yeah, maybe that... You know, it's always a, a question about when you bring guys up, but they're going to have to add Derrick Hill to the, you know, to the forty man if they want to protect him from the Rule Five draft this this uh, off season anyway. And if Jacoby Jones, you know, just continues to really really struggle, maybe you just say to yourself like, look, I'm I'm going to bring Derrick Hill up. I'm going to give him a taste for a while. You know, we know he's going to play good defense for us in center field, and maybe that's you know maybe that's what he needs is to kind of finally see you know the fruit of his labor a little bit like okay I'm in the majors I'm struggling I you know I, I know I'm going to get sent back down but I've you know I, I know what I need to work on and I know I'm close um you know it can it can become easy I think to to get stagnant down there and you know and just kind of not really think to yourself like this is ever going to happen or you just kind of fall into that groove where you're well you know the way I'm playing right now is good enough you know I'm doing okay you know that happens to a lot of guys where they think they're doing all right because their numbers look good um, but you know, no scout worth his salt is going to just judge a, you know, a minor league player on his numbers. He's going to look at, you know, where are the holes in his swing? What's his actual bat speed? Like what's his discipline? Like, you know, you can, you can float all that stuff if you don't know what you're looking at. Um, you know, as far as, um, minor league prospects go. And so, yeah, sometimes I do think like a guy like Derek Hill would, would benefit, you know, from coming up and, and maybe taking his lumps. Um, I don't really subscribe to the idea that like, if you call a guy up for a month, you know, especially straight from double A and it goes badly for him that, oh, you might ruin him or, you know, you, you might just kind of destroy his confidence. Like, if a guy is like that, like, you know, is he ever going to make it anyway, honestly? Like, if, if, if he can't kind of fight through that and, and you know, and, and turn things around from there, you know, you kind of figure, like, he just wasn't going to make it in the first place to me. Yeah, well, yeah, if he can't handle the, uh, adversity like that, yeah. It would, I, I honestly, even until the Jacoby Jones' uh, recent uh, success, I was uh, that was something that was at the back of my mind because if Daz Cameron isn't ready or you want to wait or even like just let like as you know in terms of uh, firing squad bring them up see what they can do <laughs> and yeah and like honestly for for Derek Hill you're right the injuries have devastated him but I I, I don't know. in the back of my mind Brandon I I think that if they if they broke him up in September at that point who knows where the Tigers are going to be. What is the harm with that? I, I honestly think that I really want to see what he's all about, considering that if, if you took a look at the draft profile, who the Tigers are targeting in the second and third rounds, you know, there's just talk about some, you know, outfield or even if even in the their, their first pick. Yeah. I, I think you have to, you kind of have to say at this point, okay, let's, if, if we're going to have to start this thing over from scratch, let's just see what, what we have. Well, we have. I mean, we saw Troy Montgomery is retired. Yeah, a lot of players are suddenly retiring. So, to me, that I think there's a, there's kind of a perhaps like this. Okay, I got to put up or shut up mentality, or they just know that full well they're not going anywhere. 
Yeah, it has been really odd, you know, between, yeah, like Austin Athman and, and Troy Montgomery just recently, um, you know, and we had great, great Grayson, was it Grayson Long, you know, retired, although that was more injury related. Yeah, the Tigers have had some some guys just, just give it up. Um, and I don't know if that's the result of the Tigers, you know, kind of being more straightforward with their prospects or with those guys just kind of being like, nope, it's just not going to happen here, you know, <laughs> like maybe I need to get out of this organization and, and move over to some place that has a little bit better track record of, of developing players. Um, um, and maybe I'll come back in a year or two. But um, yeah, it's hard to know what that is, but it has been kind of an interesting trend lately. Um, all right, let's, yeah, we're, we're almost an hour in here, so let's try to crank out the questions a little bit. Um, Isaac Paredes hasn't hit for much power this year. Is that something to be concerned with at his age and this stage of his career? Um, that's from Coco G. Um, I don't know. I'll take that one a little bit. No, I'm not, I'm not that concerned with it yet. Like if we get to the end of the year and Isaac Paredes has like, you know, sub 10 home runs, am I going to be worried about it? Yeah, I'm probably not going to be thrilled, but it just seems like the Tigers have, from what I've seen, and I've probably, you know, I've probably seen like 30 or 40 ABs from him this year. It just, it looks like he's, you know, basically hunting, hunting pitches on the inner third and pitchers are just staying away from him. You know, they, they know that that's, you know, probably the best bat, um, on the team. And it seems like they're, you know, they're, they're, you know, content to just stay away, um, and walk him if need be. And he's been kind of working on taking the ball the other way. Um, so yeah, I'm not really sure if, if there's anything going on there or if it's just something that the Tigers are working on with him to try to get him to use the whole field a little bit more because his, his power is, you know, hunting breaking balls on the inner third and ambushing guys with fastballs and, and smashing them over the left field fence. He's um, his power is definitely to the pole field. So yeah, I wouldn't worry about it too much. He's still young enough where I don't think you have to have to kind of freak out and you still look at his walks and strikeouts and they're pristine. Um, and I know he has, he has enough raw power to, you know, to make the whole thing work. So I'm not worried about him yet. I think we're all just kind of like, where does he play? Like, I'm glad they're still playing him at shortstop, but you know, the odds of him ended, ending up there are very slim. So, I don't know. I'm not really sure how you how you kind of draw up the plan as far as, like, is he going to hit enough to be a third baseman or is he better off at second base, you know, where the bat will play really well, but, you know, maybe the footwork won't. Um, I don't know. There's some things to figure out there, but he's young enough where I think you can just kind of let him ride this year and see what happens. Oh, absolutely. And, and there's still time for him. He's working out some kinks, and, and really, I, I, I think – Few patience with this. I mean, he's already advanced at a already for his age already really advanced. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay for him to ha- take a little step back to just sort of reset. Um, I don't think we need to be too terribly concerned about it. Um, the same guy, Matthew Haas asks uh, Cody Clemens, "What do you see Cody Clemens' future as in the majors? Um, what kind of player do you think he's going to be? Any thoughts there?" <laughs> uh, you know, I think I've mean, seen his numbers in Lakeland. He's doing pretty well in Lakeland so far. Yeah, he's heating up. Started really slow. Um, honestly, I'm I, I want to see what he does in Erie, but if I think if he puts up the same numbers in Erie, I think you'll look at the Tigers' future second baseman. I I know it's kind of like not exactly a marquee position. We talked about him put him in the outfield, but I see him as a serviceable major leaguer. Now, is he going to be a uh, All Star? That yet to be seen, but I think he's going to be serviceable. He's actually surprised me, actually. To be honest, um, with the whole the lot last year with Def Ridge and him starting off so well, and all that 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 blew up on him. Yeah, the, the hype with, was strong. Yeah, <laughs> the hype was super strong. He's been able to back up the hype a little bit. I remember Tiger fans like, "Oh yeah, it's a second baseman in the future." And I kind of chuckled a little bit, but no, there's there's some validity to it, especially Lakeland, who's 
offense have been it's been terrible, and to see uh, some guys him raking down there is rewarding and, and much needed for that Flying Tigers offense that has been just atrocious to watch. Yeah, it's it's really hard to hit in Lakeland, and when you and it's you know part of the reason that we got so high on Isaac Prades last year is that you just don't see players you know wreck shop in Lakeland unless they're top prospects very often. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, Cody Clemens, like, I still think he, he's a real long shot. Um, I don't think he's a good enough defender, and he doesn't really have the speed. He's just not, he doesn't have the tools enough to where I feel like there's much room for error there. But um, but if he can keep shortening the swing, you know, he does he does control the zone reasonably well, and he does have raw power, um, and that's more than I can say for, you know, most of the Tigers farm system. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it's it's over for him or anything like that. Um, I just, I, yeah, I, I need to see him at double A and I need to see a little bit more of like what his defense looks like. One of the hardest things about covering the Tigers farm system is that guys disappear into a black hole in Lakeland because there's almost no, no MILB TV coverage. And so I don't see him very much. It was kind of like when Gregory Soto, you know, came out this year um, and got moved to Erie. It was like, oh, that's what Gregory Soto looks like now. I haven't really seen much of him in like two years, you know, unless he's on the road making a road start in the, uh, in the FSL. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I got one more. You know, we've kind of talked about what are good reasons to watch. Actually, I've got a whole rash of questions about, like, why should we watch the Tigers right now? What is there to watch and root for? And there's kind of, uh, there's probably about four or five different variations on that question. I think we've kind of touched on all that. Um, why aren't the Tigers firing any members of their coaching staff, Roger? <laughs> <laughs> because, ladies and gentlemen, I'll just tell you this right now. You can you can complain all you want about Lloyd McClellan all you want. It's not going to make a damn difference. Yeah, the team can't hit. The can't team can't hit. Yeah, with McClellan. If he doesn't notice something in their swing, okay, the, the players. That's it, it, not going to matter. The, the player like they're able to work with Jacoby Jones, and that is an improvement. So, so wait a minute. You tell me after improving Jacoby Jones' the swing, they're going to fire him now? No. Yeah. I think it's. it's don't uh, even with, like as much as we joke about Rick Anderson in our Twitter chat about him not being much of a pitching coach, and it's laughable. There is again, it's talent. It's what you have on the. Uh, it's between the brains of the uh, of the player you pick up, and honestly, it's just that to me that sometimes those jerk uh, knee jerk reactions are, are stupid. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's not a knee jerk reaction because I mean, I'd never really wanted Lloyd McClendon, and um, and no one has, you know, no one hired Rick Anderson during all the years he was, uh, you know, you know, semi retired. Um, I don't think there's much demand for either of these two guys, but I definitely agree that, you know, the impact of those guys can can be dramatically overblown. Like they're all just kind of a package deal with Guardy, um, with the sort of Jim Leland seemingly controlled, um, you know, Tigers coaching staff. You still feel that that hand of Jim Leland everywhere throughout the, the Tigers um, on that front. But, you know, I mean, it's something I've heard recently. I I can't remember who said this. It was it was one of the reporters. Maybe it was Becker. Or it might even have been someone on the ticket or something who was talking about how, how many of these guys now have a private coach. So, I mean, you just don't even really know who's doing what with whom um, at this point. It's harder to tell than it used to be. And yeah, Lloyd's, you know, worked with Jacoby and seems to have done okay there. I wrote a whole bunch of pieces and I'm sure everyone figures I hate Lloyd McLennan because I have been kind of like taking him to task for some of his um, his anti-launch angle philosophy. Uh, but, you know, there are certain guys in the Tiger system like maybe Jake Rogers and, you know, Kristen Stewart who really do have like a very strong like, you know, plate discipline and power approach. Like they hit tons of fly balls, they draw walks, 
they don't hit for average. Um, you know, sometimes guys like that could actually use with toning it down, you know, a little bit and learning to kind of learning a little more back control and to spray the ball around the field a little bit more. Uh, but I just don't know that those guys have that much of an impact. And to me, yeah, it's all kind of part and parcel with the whole coaching staff. Where is if you fire Lloyd McClendon and just hire some other guy, that you know that's a scapegoating. You know, the the talent isn't there, and Lloyd McClendon isn't the difference between this being a good offense and a bad offense. Yeah, and it's just, I think that the the, the idea too that the players are having their own coaches or anything that's been something they've probably had since the little league. And they're going to be somebody who, in, in certain cases, if they're already going to be groomed to play baseball, they're yeah, the private coaching aspect is something that has been out there for a while, and no, no, and no one's going to listen to a career two fifty two hitter sometimes. But yeah, know. yeah, I mean, you know, guys turn to their pitching or their you know their hitting coach when they really need help, like when they really are going bad. Um, yeah, and and yeah, you know, guys have had individual coaches all along, but I, I definitely think there is a trend toward you know having a guy who you know is sort of tailored to you and like obsesses about all your at bats and and can kind of um, you know be totally committed to just helping you get better. So maybe that's you know maybe that's the better way to go. Um, there there are questions about like you know communication and hierarchy. You know, as far as like should you be doing what your your personal coach says or what your hitting coach does um but you know these are the times we live in there's a lot more input and players have the money to kind of you know bring in outside help um you know i think players understand the business side of things a lot more um, based on what's happened over the past couple years and you see more and more guys like recognizing that you know they've got to they've got to handle their business themselves to, to a certain degree because they're you know forever expendable to whatever team is telling them you know oh we want you to bunt more we want you to you know hit to the opposite field or we want you to take more pitches and swing for the fences early and counts more whichever it is um at the end of the day you know you're going to be responsible for your career and that has never changed so um former for the win wants to know when will burrows and funkhauser be back yeah we'd like to know that as well um do you have any interesting sleepers in the lower minors um that you would mention I don't know. For me, I don't know. I think I already mentioned them. It's pretty much Scooble, you know, Perez, and Parker Meadows isn't a sleeper, but I don't really have a whole lot else that I'm interested in there other than Brady. I guess Brady Policelli continues to interest me just because he's so versatile and continues to hit um, and shows shows power, shows speed, can catch and do a decent job back there, you know, can play second base, can play all over the place. Um, he's a guy you could see being useful, I think, down the road um, if he can kind of continue to develop a little bit. Anybody else kind of really striking you that way in the in the lower levels? Um, you know, honestly, I, I we have to we have to talk about the the kind of the rapid dissemination of Ethan DeCastro. We talked about that yesterday in the podcast. Um, I don't know I it, he's been he was well, he started off in low A. Now he's already up. He just got called to Toledo. Yeah. Um, so I think that that's that's like that's eye opening, and it's the Tigers sidearm right armor. Love fest continues, <laughs> and it's it remind me. I mean, the, 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 we haven't seen a descent like this since Robbie Weinhart back <laughs> in the early two thousands or like late two thousand or whatever that was. So, I don't know, that 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 kind of stood out to me a little bit because the Tigers haven't been able to have really luck with relievers. I mean, Garcia's coming back, so slowly but surely. But no, that that's a name I, 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 I kind of keep your eye out too. And then yeah, I like uh, that one. Yeah, Billy Lusher, which I've not seen any film of immediately, or I haven't seen any video of him either, has also been um, 
quietly descending up there as well. But I would love to see something of him before I can make a judgment. Uh, right now, all I'm seeing is numbers. So yeah, Billy Lesher's kind of a kind of a mystery. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, I don't know. I don't know anything. Like Chris, Chris is like, wow, I don't even know anything about him. That's if Chris doesn't know anything about him, that's saying something. Yeah. So, I, um, but seeing his descent, it's pretty quickly. Yeah, after I talked to, um, you know, after we talked to Chris about that, I talked to Emily Walden about it, too, and she was just sort of like, eh, you know, I don't really have anything particularly unique on him. <laughs> I was just like, well, all right. Billy Lesher not getting a lot of love out there, I'm afraid. Um, yeah, you know, and obviously Jason Foley coming back is cool. Um, yeah, you look at Foley and Garcia, um, Waldemar Pinto, like, those are kind of like your three maybe best, you know, relief candidates who are already relievers. Um, you know, there's Anthony Castro, Greg Soto, you know, there, there's arms down there, you know, that are that are better than a lot of what we saw, like, in, like, 2012, 2013, when the Tigers were kind of having to bring up, you know, like, their best guy down there. You know, the best arm, just raw arm, was guys like Kyle Ryan and then Lobstein, you know, people like that. There's there's more intrigue than there was, but, um, but yeah, I'm not really sure there's a whole lot of, you know, real, like, sleepers, like, whoa, you guys are really going to be blown away by this guy. Yeah, I don't think so either. And just even, I, I was trying to think of, like, an offensive player... But I drew a blank, so... Yeah, I mean, John Valente has, like, some pretty nice bat-to-ball skills, but there, there's a lot of holes there, not much power. Like, eh, I can't really, I can't really see that going on. Um, I still like Eric... Uh, is it Eric De La Rosa? Like, I, I still have some interest there just because he's such an athlete. Um, him and Jose King, like, I, those are guys who I'll continue to give chances to for a long time, hoping something clicks. You know, basically for, like... You know, like, Tebow reasons without the Tebow. You know, like, this person is just, like, a strong, fast, good athlete... And we'll just see, you know, like maybe they can figure something out um, if they're if they are working at it long enough. So, yeah, Jeremiah Burks, too. He's he's another one who I, I just kind of like watching him play, but I'm not not certainly not projecting him as a guy who's ever going to get a look in the majors. And we're and we're almost to that time. You know, as soon as the draft kicks in, yeah, short season, um, the GSL, all that stuff is going to open up um, and maybe we'll we'll get a look at at a player or two who kind of um, pops up on our radar. Um you know, like Hugh Smith, you know, made his season debut um, for the Whitecaps, I think it was, last week. And, you know, I thought there was some stuff to like there, too. You know, I mean, he's the guy, if, if people follow the draft enough, you know, I think he was, what, our 10th round pick, maybe? Um, but he's like a 6'10 right-hander from a small school in, in Washington or Oregon, somewhere in the Northwest. And, you know, like, he throws pretty hard. You know, like, I think they, they were clocking him at, like, 93 to 95 for the most part. Um, it looks like he's got, you know, like a rising fastball with pretty good life. So, you know, he's kind of an interesting guy. He has a little bit of, Mark pointed this out, where there's a little bit of a Fiedo kind of lag and, and flattening of his arm slot um, that I'm not a big fan of. But, you know, if you're 6'10", you've got some plane anyway. Um, and if he has a usable fastball and can and can find a breaking ball that works for him, he's a guy you might, um, you might hear from again. We'll see. Um, oh, all right. Let's get to Mark's questions. <laughs> favorite thing, favorite things to watch now that we're not allowed to watch Tigers baseball for our health. Um, yeah. Any, any anything you've been watching on television particularly or, uh, or movies that have been piquing your interest? Uh, so I just finished uh, season two of Barry, which has been a fantastic show. If you have not, if you don't have HBO outside of, I mean, I know Game of Thrones, everybody's, you know, Game of Thrones, yada, yada, yada. And I'm sorry. I, I, I started in watching season one as well as shows that like I never got into originally, but Barry because I'm a Bill I'm a big big Bill Hader fan. Uh, I just finished watching season two, and it's fantastic. Nice. Um, outside of baseball, um, I would probably have to say Netflix has a really cool thing right now. They're doing um, roast historical roast, and I got to watch. Uh, yeah, you know I, I I've heard from some from some people this year who have definitely like set up with you know. 
playing whatever RBI baseball, like some vintage baseball game, and then playing OOTP um, while watching Tigers games just to kind of struggle their way through it, you know. And the nice thing about that is, you know, sometimes at least if you already have the guy in your team, when someone screws up, you, you know, you can just trade him. You trade him right there. Get out of here. <laughs> You make those classic OOTP trades where, you know, you just keep combining like 4A outfielders and infielders until a GM is just broken down and gives you the guy you want. Uh, if only the real world like looked like that. Like, I'm just going to, I'm going to offer you the West Michigan Whitecaps for, you know, <laughs> Mike Trout. Let's go. Um, yeah, I mean, we kind of hit on Ron, Ron Vorp's question about basically like, is the GM doing the rebuild the right way? I mean... Not really. Like, you know, we'd like to see him him making more trades and being more aggressive, I think, and, and showing that the Tigers, you know, believe in their own evaluations and, and kind of, you know, have some faith in themselves to make some aggressive moves. Um, I don't like that they're not doing that. Um, other than that, you know, if you, if you think there's a right way to do a rebuild, I mean, I guess this is it, where you just, you know, whatever, you suck and draft high and... <laughs> And trade whatever you can, but um, but I, yeah, I mean there haven't really been any big trade wins either. So yeah, I don't know, not 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 really. I mean, I guess if if there is such a thing as a re- rebuild, the Tigers are following the playbook, but you know for the most part they're tripping over their own feet. I think. Yeah, you know we we've kind of beaten the the horse about this in terms of tripping their feet. I think the Tigers are just trying to. There's I think they're really. They're scrambling out of the pocket right now. They're like, the quarterback. If I'm using a football cliche, it's Alvila is scrambling. He's almost to the five yard line. He's about to get a safety right now. That's how we're going to put the we put it in that context. Yep, yep. And you know, there's there's plenty of plenty of heat out there as far as people wanting him fired at the end of the year, and plenty of reasons for Chris Illich to look for some scapegoats because I mean he has just been getting savaged by you know Cranes Detroit. There was another. Um, another piece in the Detroit news today from Nolan Finley, um, you know, basically, you know, talking about how the whole district Detroit development has basically been a scam for, you know, the Illich family to hoard, hoard property and speculate on it rather than developing it the way they said they were going to, um, you know, tearing down all this stuff with taxpayer money and then just leaving it undeveloped all over the place and how this is, you know, kind of a, you know, a 30 year pattern for the Illich family. Um, and, and those business problems, you know, have got to be on his mind, you know, quite a bit. Um, they're, they're really getting hammered and at a time where they're still asking for more tax breaks and more incentives, you know, into, into some of the things that they want to do. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Things, uh, things aren't, aren't great in Illich world, apart from the fact that they're filthy rich. Um, so yeah, I don't know. He might be feeling some pressure, um, but I just continue to feel like he isn't even really focused on the Tigers right now. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if he had it in mind that he was just going to let Avila's term run out through next year um, and then and then take a, you know, take a moment to assess where things are at and decide if, if he wants wants to keep going or not. I really, I really don't have any sense that he's, you know, super engaged in, you know, doing the whole thing, like hiring a search committee and you know, hiring people to come in and evaluate the organization and, and, you know, kind of try to find ways to objectively, you know, measure success and are the Tigers following a right process? Do they look like they're on the right track? I don't, it just doesn't feel like we're there to me yet. I don't know. I don't think so. It's, it's, it's still, it's still some ways to go. Yeah, I think so too. I think we're probably going to have to suffer, um, suffer through at least one more year before uh, we get any relief on that front. Hopefully we won't need it. Um, hopefully the Tigers draft well and a couple guys break out and everything's 
looking a little more hunky dory by next spring. You know, maybe you trade Shane Green and Nick and get a get a good infield prospect. I don't know. I don't know. Hey Cubs, you guys want Shane Green and Nick Castellanos for Nico Horner? <laughs> no, uh, we don't want to get again. <laughs> yep. Can't be scared. Can't be scared to trade. Um, all right, and then we got to get to the most important of Mark's questions, um, which was originally asked to Ashley McLennan yesterday as to whether or not she had ever tried fresh toasted challah bread with uh, with tuna. Um, I believe that she had. Um, I believe that her impression of it was that the you know challah is kind of a, a bit of a sweet taste to it, um, and that it went pretty well with the tuna, but was a little bit of a of a contrast that she wasn't wasn't exactly expecting. How about yourself? I have never had challah with tuna. I've had challah, and it's fantastic, but I'm not a bread maker. Uh, I had it, so I had it at this uh, restaurant in Long Beach on the Pacific Coast Highway, Pacific Coast Highway when I used to do trade show work about, uh, about oh, six years ago now, and I had a, a, a melt. It was it was, it was was quite a... I remember, as I recall, one of the, my coworkers kind of giving me some grief because it was $17 for <laughs> And I mean, this is California, so I kind of expected a little bit of a higher premium. But anyways, yeah, it was the first time I ever had that bread, and it was actually it's not too far off what Ashley said, but the melted it had a it was the a gouda instead of like I'm used to having tuna melt with cheddar cheese. That's kind of like my go-to. Oh yes, yeah. you know, um, for whatever reason, I like a tuna melt with cheddar cheese. Anyways, um. It was good. It was good, and I, I definitely understand where Mark's obsession is with it, and um, it's it's quite delightful. And I know there is a place not too far from my work, uh, Star Deli on Telegraph, if I can get a plug, has good bread, and Mark met Rick, said that I could find that bread there. So I might just partake partake and go find that. Yeah. A sandwich now. I know that. Uh, I actually know that store. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that's a good deli. I, yeah. Okay. I might have to. I might have to go try this out as well. I'm trying. You know, trying to keep the carbs down. But when it's you know when it's good stuff, you know, go for it. You know, when you're on a low carb thing, you you just gotta avoid like the white bread and the crap. Like if there's an opportunity to eat some damn good bread or, or something along those lines, I'm still doing it. That's fine. <laughs> I'm a low carb too, Brandon. But every once in a while, like I've i been able to lose 35 pounds so far by keeping it in low carbs, but every once in a while I'll, I'll just devour a sandwich and feel better about it and not think twice about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, okay, we kind of got Dan Hogan's question about sort of the Indians and Twins, so let's let's wrap it with Bing Bong Ding Dong 7. My man, who will have the most games played at shortstop in 2020, and why is it Willie Castro? <laughs> hmm. Do you think it's Willie Castro? Do you think they'll commit 100% next year? I, you know what? They, I think they're gonna have to because the Jody Mercer experience is clearly not working. Yeah. Um, and I think they're gonna either put Alcantara or Castro, but I think they're gonna give Castro a shot. I know he's he's committed nine errors in Toledo. His on-base percentage has been insane. But yeah. I, as Rob pointed out and on, on your website too, and I thought it was a really good point. Maybe just getting him up to here to give him a singular focus will help him. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think Willie Castro should be up here. Because at this point, if we're if we're putting Lugo up here with his bad walk rate and shaky, you know, somewhat shaky glove, and Christian Stewart with questionable arm strength, why not give Castro a shot? And and, and for the Tigers, really, it's just to see what they can. Josh Harrison's gonna have, a, I think, a tear to hamstring, so they're gonna they're gonna force their hand a little bit with this. And I think that I think give Castro a good shot, give him a, a larger sample size and. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah. 
Willie Willie Ramis or um, Will Rames. I mean, just give him give him a chance. See what he can do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I if it was me, I'm starting out 2020, and Willie Castro is probably my, yeah my starting starting shortstop. And I I agree. I mean, I would bring him up right now. Um, you know, there was kind of a discussion. I think Chris McCoskey was kind of saying, you know, that someone in the Tigers organization, you know, still think, you know, like mentally, you know, he still makes too many mistakes and isn't ready for this. But to me, that's a good reason to bring him up and, and let him take his lumps a little bit and realize, you know, he's still got he's still got work to do. Um, I wouldn't, you know, call him up necessarily this year and and just play him all year. Um, you know, you hope that, yeah, you know, maybe Mercer comes back at a certain point and you can send Willie Castro back down for kind of a breather um, and hopefully kind of take what he's learned up here and, and apply it in Toledo. But, you know, the skills are, are all there defensively. To me, from what I've seen, is it, it, you know, it's a little bit of like Ronnie Rodriguez syndrome, but not as bad where, you know, the guy, you know, if you look at Ronnie Rodriguez, like, you know, he's quick, he has good hands, um, he's got a cannon for an arm. But mentally, he just, you know, I don't even know if I'd say he takes plays off, but he is too casual sometimes, um, you know, doesn't qualify the speed of the runner, um, sometimes isn't fully fully thinking through, like, the circumstances of the play, like how many outs, who you know, who's on base, how fast are they, what's the situation in the game. Um, you know, that those are the kind of things that, you know, are just a learning curve for young players. You know, Ronnie Rodriguez doesn't have any excuse because he's, whatever, 26 or 27. But, you know, Willie Castro, I think, might benefit, yeah, from coming up and um, kind of being under that pressure and, and kind of, you know, kind of sharpening the iron there a little bit, I think. Um, and you look at him and he's swinging the bat great. Um, we don't have anybody else we really want to play at shortstop. So, yeah, go ahead. Um, he's not a guy you need to worry about his service time. That's another topic we've been talking a lot about is that, you know, other than Manning and Mize, um, you know, there isn't anybody to worry about their service time necessarily, you know. If... Um, if anybody else in the system like turns out to be great and we lost, you know, a season of service time because we played them too soon, eh, whatever. Yell at me then. <laughs> you can't just keep everybody down forever, you know, like, oh, we're going to wait until, you know, they're all like 100% ready to go and then bring them all up together. Like, it just doesn't work like that in the real world. Yeah. No, I mean, if, if we if we had the luxury of like Houston has right now, which they have, was it, uh, Alvarez, is it, was it, Alvarez was just, mashing the ball right now yeah yep they you know we don't have that luxury just see what they can do yeah just give it a shot you know like that you know the astros have got like you know kyle tucker and jordan alvarez who are yeah like maybe like two of the top four or five outfield prospects in the game and they can't even crack the lineup over there you know you know i'm sure those guys would like to be in the major leagues and and making good money and probably would benefit from it um i i don't like the idea of waiting too long to move a guy up I, I hate the idea of guys becoming like complacent and like oh you know big fish small pond guys at Erie you know that org depth guy who thinks he's better than he is because you know he's never been shown like nope you were you know you're not ready to move up and you know guys like that sometimes get salty um you know that can infect a bunch of other players too like I'm I'm all for letting them go ahead and take their lumps and uh tell them what they you know show them what they've got to prove um, let's see. Oh, our girl, Robin Runyon, um, Atomic Pixie. Um, Robin, uh, has been an editor for Curbed. Um, she's, uh, let's, let's look at, let's just refer to Robin as a queen of Detroit. Um, and she wants to know, oh, well, you know, we kind of did hit this though. Um, she wants to know if there's any reason to watch Tigers right now too. Yeah, we've kind of hit on that, you know, pick, pick your, uh, pick your spots there. Pick your battles. Um... Oh, okay. This is the one I wanted to get to. Dan Hogan brought this up too. Am I just the old man? Did we talk about this a little bit with the tickets 
let's let's dial in a little bit on the the you know the automated ticketing system and the kind of the the ramifications of that for the average fan where you you know you now you know you can only transfer tickets you know electronically unless you're actually at the park um you know you can't carry a ticket in with you there's no more scalping of tickets in that sense uh how how do you feel about that i mean it, it just to me it feels like it cuts a lot of fans out of the equation a little bit because you know while we assume everybody has a smartphone and is super savvy with it um now you know there's a lot of people who aren't and baseball has kind of an older fan base um and there's also a lot of you know a lot of people who you know maybe share two phones in a family and don't necessarily you know have the money to like you know kind of you know swap all these phones together and have everybody have the the, the brand new phone and you know money to put on the uh on the account permanently and just all the all the kind of nonsense that's going along with this yeah and and i was we I went to one game uh, earlier this month. On for it was a, I took my wife to a game uh, on our day off, and the whole experience of you have to buy the tickets, and then it sends you an email, and then you have to download this app, and then it takes a minute to put in the app. Well, it, it takes it's it's seamless at first, but still, it's a giant pain in the ass because you know you're right with somebody who has two phones, but what if somebody has a like just. Not everybody's always connected to their phone, and it doesn't either matter if it's young, old. It doesn't matter, but yeah, I, I, I don't understand why they waited till now, at a time where no one's going to the games, <laughs> to make it harder for people to go to the games. That's the part that confuses me. Yeah, because it, it you know it didn't appear to be something that was mandated by MLB. They just decided to do this, and I guess what they're thinking is that there's not enough people coming down anyway, so maybe this is a way to kind of float it through, but. Yeah, I don't know. It just feels like, you know, more of like the Disneyfication of the game where, you know, okay, you can't buy a ticket outside anymore and they're trying to crack down on, you know, independent vendors, you know, around the game. They're trying to, you know, crack down on, you know, the secondary marketplace um, and get that all under control. It's all this gathering into control and you, the consumer, you, the, the fan, the ticket buyer now has to do the work for them to help secure their, you know, their business in this front. And it just... I don't know. It's just, it's like, it's them controlling it even more. And it also just sanitizes the game. I mean, for me, like a lot of my, my memories of, you know, going to Tiger Stadium and baseball when I was a kid is like walking up to the park and, you know, there's independent vendors like selling things and you could buy a ticket, you know, right there. Um, Our buddy Mark, you know, is not going to be able to haggle with people outside and impress us with his, his, you know, his ability to to, to rip off the scalpers themselves um, anymore. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I, I, I just find it odd. I just find it find it weird. I know like the Rays have basically gone full cashless. Um Ashley was talking about that and that just seems like even even crazier. Um that you know you can't really even like operate your way around the stadium and, and buy food and, and drinks and souvenirs and stuff without, you know, loading money onto a prepaid account, you know, for for the stadium. I don't know. And it's just like you know, there's an awful lot of work involved for me to buy your product. You know, um, it's supposed to work the other way around, and it just feels like it's getting more and more aggravating on that score. Yeah, that, to me, that makes no sense. Yeah, I, I, I think that even in Tampa, what they had, what five? I saw something tonight that five thousand. We came up to a, a, a game tonight. Yeah, yeah, and this is the you know this is a team contending for the AL East for God's sakes with a really good young roster and a kick-ass farm system to back it up I and mean, you know you think um everybody 
Everybody be piling in down there. Tampa doesn't seem like the best place for that kind of experiment anyway. Not to not to dog on the old people, but um, you know, I mean, Tampa's a you know an area with a lot of retirees and stuff, and you know, those are the type of people like my dad who like you know if you piss him off once um, in his his buying experience, he won't just let it go. <laughs> You know, he'll be annoyed and he'll remember it. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure uh, that, that, that these moves are, are at all good for the game, like so much that MLB has done in the past few years. They're good for MLB short term, uh, but I don't know. It, it changes the experience. Like, it's great to be able to, I mean, obviously, like the advent of being able to do that is awesome, but be, having it be the only way and the mandatory way to, to go about your business and get into the game is, uh, yeah, I'm not a fan. Not a fan. Um, I think we already answered all of uh, Steve Butt's questions. Steve, love you. You're great on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I think we've kind of talked about whether or not uh, Alavila should be fired and how we're feeling about all that. Do you have any thoughts on the on the draft right now? You got you got any favorite for the Tigers um, pick at six or five? So yeah. I was thinking like so. I, I know that they. I personally the what they're talking about in a couple of uh, mock drafts. They saw Andrew Vaughn, uh, California, the first baseman. Uh, as a possibility, there was um, a mock website too that talked about uh, C.J. Abrams as a possibility that would come down. Yeah. Uh, the second round pick, I thought the one box draft that I, it was per fan graphs, and I thought it was an interesting name with a right fielder uh, by the name of Matt Walner, who's out of Southern Miss. Uh, just did he's done a pretty good job. He's uh he's, his, um, his numbers stood out pretty well in college, but. What was concerning was that something they brought up with Fangraphs is that he struck out twenty four he struck out twenty four percent of the time in Cape Cod League while hitting just two fifty. So that's that's a, a, a flag. But I don't. Know, I, I yeah, high high strikeout rates in college are scary for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but honestly, if, if the Tigers could get Abrams, uh, CJ Abrams, the shortstop that was done really well, if it falls to them, I would love them to take an infielder versus an outfielder or I mean, even over like something like Andrew Vaughn, who I guess is the best pure hitter. Yeah. Uh, if he has the same kind of, and I think Chris mentioned he has kind of the same makeup as Ryan uh, Hop, uh, Hoskins or Hoskins, the first baseman for Philly, then if he ends up like that, cool. Yeah. Um, but I, I would love a good, it's been a long time. I can't remember the last time. What was it? Eric Munson what was the last time the Tigers took a, yeah. Uh, in the top 10. So I don't know. I, I, I what might seen an infielder myself? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if C.J. Abrams falls, like you, you really got to think about it. You know, I mean, I know there's a little bit of concern as to whether or not he'll really, you know, really be able to stick at shortstop. You know, he might profile better in the outfield or even possibly at second base. But, um, but you know, I mean, a high school guy with a bat. Um, you know, I, I kind of like that for the upside. You know, we've we've talked for years about how safe the Tigers, you know, were throughout the, the contention years where, you know, they were just trying to find college, you know, pitchers for the most part who could come right up and help in the bullpen. Um, how many picks got wasted, you know, with, with that kind of thinking, because there just isn't much upside in college players in general, um, unless you're, you know, you're getting them early. Like the, the best guys are identified usually, um, you know, there's always sleepers, um, you know, obviously teams, you know, the better teams have, you know, the Dodgers, the Astros have pulled guys much later than that, the Yankees. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he falls there, I think you've got to be interested. You know, I, it scares me to take a first baseman mainly just because I, I always look at that as a position where you can find a guy, you know, like if that's, if that's the weakness on your team, um, you know, you can, you can find yourself a power hitting first baseman or trade for one. 
Um, so he better be a special bat. Um, I'm not an expert on these guys. Um, you know, I've watched very little footage myself. So, you know, for the most part, we're going off um, professional opinions from guys at Fangraphs and Baseball America and, you know, Baseball Prospectus, MLB, wherever. Um, but yeah, you know, like Vaughn's got to be, got to be quite a bat to make that worthwhile. Um, I guess if he go, if, if he doesn't fall to us and I know, you know, like the, I, Andrew Vaughn, you know, in the, I think it's Fangraphs 3.0 mock draft that came out today, they had Vaughn, um, to the Tigers as well. So that seems to be kind of settling in more and more as, as the consensus. Um, but if they don't take him, um, you know, I, I look at Riley Green, um, it's him and J.J. Blade that, that people think will be there. Um, two corner outfielders. Uh, Blade was for Vanderbilt. Um, I think he led led college in home runs this year or was very close to it. Uh, Riley Green, maybe more more of an upside play just because he's a prep prospect. I think, um, you know, it's going to be one of, one of those three guys. And I will defer to everyone who keeps saying that Andrew Vaughn is just going to be a, you know, a baseball mashing beast and, and hope that's the case and that we can get him to fall to us. We'll go with that. <laughs> Here's hoping. Um, Field Diamond kind of wanted to know after Garden Hire who might manage the Tigers um, in the next phase of the rebuild. Um, that's Boy, that's a tough question because we don't even know when that next phase is going to kick in. <laughs> When is that next phase, Roger? Um, could you could you pinpoint that with a date and time for me, please? <laughs> uh, November November twentieth, twenty twenty one. That's probably that's probably fairly accurate. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Guardy still here, you know, through them. You know, I, I guess I'll say this: like whoever replaces Garden Hire will probably be somebody with Tigers ties because they're they're those those type of guys. Unless they replace the GM in the front office. It's going to be someone that they know and are comfortable with. Um, I actually kind of mentioned Alex Avila last night, and I definitely think Alex Avila long-term is a candidate to be a manager. Um, you know, he fits all the profiles, smart catcher, you know, grew up in the game, has all kinds of connections. Um, I don't think that's a bad call, but I don't think he's going to be ready for that just yet. And I'm interested, you know, it seems like the Tigers really like Mike Rebello. Um They keep kind of moving him around um, to sort of, Kind of, it seems like they, you know, they're entrusting him with a lot of their top prospects repeatedly at different levels. Um, so you never know. The Tigers haven't really promoted a, a manager like that in a really long time. Um, I don't know. That might be something to to look at. Possibly Mr. Rebello um, could could get the call. But yeah, I don't know. It really feels like if if there's a new manager, it probably means that there's a whole new front office. Like the whole thing is turned over. And at that point, all bets are off, and it's going to be about you know who the next group is um, and who they like. Yeah, I mean, if, if there's one guy I could throw in there right now, I mean, Mickey Cal or Cal is uh, the Mets manager right now. Yeah, Callaway is looking on the hot yeah. seat a little bit. Yeah, and I, 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 the Tigers are not going to really try to hire within the system. That's a guy who I can see them going after because of his pedigree. So um, he's going to kind of a raw deal right now in New York, but so. Yeah, he is. I mean, that. The lineup, you know, like they, I guess they kind of did the best they could. I still am not sure how I feel about that Cano and Diaz trade, but, um, but you know, they're, they're trying to go for it over there and there's, they're just too far away. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to end up catching the ax for that or not. I do know that I would take Mickey Calloway over Ron Gardenhire for sure, just for the impact he might have on the pitching staff. <laughs> I would love to have Mickey Calloway as our pitching coach. That would work out just fine. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it, it, at this point, too, any any new voice or anybody that's not going to be a guy who's kind of – I think Halloway's more – I'm not sure if he believes in analytics, but I feel like anybody that's not named – Ron Gardner believes analytics, so. Yeah, yeah, probably. We are kind of the last of the old breed here, it feels like. Um, As far as, like, you know, real analytics, like, actually, like, really diving into the stuff and using it all, you know, in more ways than just just a shift and such. Um, You know, the Tigers are trying on that front. It's just, you know, it's really hard to, to see how, you know, they're they're going to they're change their, you know, that much ingrained thinking. Um without bringing in a whole lot of personnel who already kind of have that, that thought process. Um, I guess that's about it, dude. Um, I'm going to let you go probably. Um, it's been awesome having you on. I mean, we just have like, you know, there just hasn't been that much news. Like, you know, I don't want to talk about Josh Harrison to the IL and Jordy Mercer and Victor Reyes being up and <laughs> um, the signings of Carlos Torres and Frank Schwindel, you know, does anyone want to hear about these things? No, they don't want to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I appreciate the time. This has been fun. It was a lot of fun. Not uh, honestly, it was just this is great, and I, I hope to do this again soon. It was yeah. I didn't real I didn't realize you haven't been on. Yeah, I didn't realize you hadn't been a guest before. Like doing the host part is, is a pain in the butt every week. <laughs> yeah, I, know, I was just gonna say. I'm like, <laughs> I was just telling I was telling Mark earlier. I'm like, it, it is a relief. I feel like I'm saying my points better. I'm like, I don't know what I feel like. I feel like this weight. It's it's awesome. <laughs> it, was, it, was a lot, it was a lot of fun. Honestly, it was it was good, and I, and I, um. To not to go into the, the weeds a little bit was nice, but I feel like some of the people who listen to us like the hardcore stuff. But this was this was awesome. So yeah, oh no problem at all. Yeah, like yeah. I mean, I always point everybody toward Tiger, Tiger's SRD because you and Chris do a really good job of kind of like bringing up historical context and and really diving into the numbers. Um, whereas yeah, Ashley and I try to keep it you know kind of loose and just just sort of hash out what's you know what's going on in the moment and and what we're feeling and kind of try to bridge that like you know casual and super intense fan um experience which which is always like a tricky little tightrope um but yeah on all fronts we all can kind of run off on some amazing digressions and i love that about the uh the entire group so yeah that's good um love love to have you on um yeah everybody should check out tigers srd um follow roger at what is it rodcast 81 yeah rodcast r-o-g-c-a-s-t-8-1 and uh yeah uh just tweet at me anytime i promise i won't yeah, Rogers is a sweetheart. I've met, we've met in person. We've been to some games. Um, we'll need to get together and do that later on this summer, preferably when Matt Boyd is starting. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot for coming on, and we'll talk to you later, brother. All right. Thanks. Easy, Brandon. You too. Everybody have a good night. Bye-bye.